the end zone, has a man open, touchdown, Justin Blackman. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Locked On, folks. I'm your host, Colby Powell. Glad everyone is with me on this cold, rainy Wednesday here in the state of Oklahoma. A lot to get to today. I want to remind everyone to head over to Twitter. Follow me at Colby J. Powell, at Locked On Pokes. Send me all your thoughts on anything Oklahoma State athletics. Also, subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you are listening. I am part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network in the country. Head on over to LockedOnPodcast.com where you can find all of those, including Locked On Sooners and Locked On Thunder with John Hoover and Brady Trantham. So glad everyone is with me on this Wednesday. I want to talk a lot about what happened in Ames last night, but I don't want to start with that because Oklahoma State basketball is a little depressing right now. So let's talk about what happened in Stillwater yesterday. That, of course, was the pep rally, and the big headline of the pep rally was Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard was asked why he chose to put the NFL on hold and come back to Oklahoma State, and Chuba said, because we're bringing a national championship to Stillwater. Set Twitter ablaze. People are fired up. I have a few thoughts on this. One, this to me was very out of character for Chuba Hubbard, and and I think that that is kind of just the uh, the atmosphere that is a pep rally. You know, a pep rally by definition, it, it is people coming together, getting excited, you know, getting fired up for their team and and what's to come. Whether you know you're in high school, you remember high school pep rallies. Y'all get together and talk about beating whoever you're playing that night, whatever the case may be, homecoming, whatever it is. That's what a pep rally is. So I think you can get caught up in all that positivity. Uh, I think that you can get caught up in that, you, you know, wanting to get everyone excited and wanting to make everyone happy. Chuba doesn't usually talk like that. He's usually a quiet guy, goes about his business, doesn't um, say things like that, that that put crazy expectations and crazy goals on not only himself, but his team. I, I don't mind that he said that one bit. I think one thing that makes elite athletes great is irrational confidence. And and I mean that as a compliment. I I don't mean that negatively. I I think that the reason great athletes, I'm talking like elite athletes, the ones that that go pro, the the 1% of the 1% of the 1% who are truly great. I think that part of what makes them truly great is an irrational confidence because when everyone else thinks that there's no way they can accomplish something, they work that much harder to accomplish it and to prove everyone wrong. Whereas, you know, I look at myself and I'm, I'm going to play golf tomorrow. I know I can't go out there and shoot 65. I, I know I'm, I'm not good enough to do that. I just, I know that. And that's fine. I'll go out, I'll shoot my 77 or whatever I'm going to shoot. It'll be fun. I'll have a good time. I'll call it a day. I'm not an elite athlete. I'm not the 1% of the 1%. Chuba Hubbard is. And and what he said yesterday, we're bringing a national championship to Stillwater, it takes some irrational confidence to make that statement. And again, don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean, let's say, let's play a, a hypothetical game here. Let's say that Oklahoma State, everything breaks right in the regular season, they go 12-0, they meet OU in the Big 12 Championship, they beat them again, they're 13-0, now Oklahoma State is in the college football playoff. 
Not that far-fetched, right? They're probably going to be favored in 11 of the 12 regular season games. It would involve likely beating Oklahoma twice, which would be as many times beating them in one season as Mike Gundy has beaten them in his career at Oklahoma State. So that's unlikely, but not impossible. OU, while one of the um, best teams in college football, I I would say has not earned status as one of the elite teams in college football. The elite teams in college football. To me, I think there's four of them. I think it's Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, and Alabama. I mean, those are the only schools really winning any national championships and consistently putting, uh, you know, five, ten guys in the pros every year, getting drafted every year. So those are the elites of the elites. And then in tier number two, just below that is where you find like OU and Georgia, teams that have made the college football playoff. Uh, Georgia obviously made a national championship game, which Oklahoma has not yet done. I, I think they will under Lincoln Riley uh, at some point. Maybe it is with Spencer Rattler. Maybe it's not. But anyway, all that is to say that Oklahoma State could win all of its regular season games. Now they get to the college football playoff, and it would be irrational and a little bit delusional to look someone in the eye and tell them that you think the team that Oklahoma State could field in the college football playoff, top to bottom, on that roster, could beat in consecutive games Ohio State and Clemson. I, it, it, it's not going to happen. And, and I hate I hate having to be that guy, and I hate being the realist. That's, that's how my brain works. My brain works in a, in a realist capacity. Look, I don't think Oklahoma State's going to make the college football playoff. I know that Oklahoma State's not going to win a national championship. But again, I don't mind Chuba Hubbard saying it. Irrational confidence is what makes elite athletes elite, thinking they can do things that no one else thinks they can do. I just... You know, you've heard me talk about this if you've listened to my podcast. College football is absolutely rigged for those that are in the club to stay in the club. It, it wasn't any different this past year. It's not going to be any different this next year. If you want me to pick for you today the four teams that are going to be in the playoff next year, I don't know. I'm going to go way out on a limb, and I'm going to say it's going to be OU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. I, that's, just, that's just me going out on a limb. Who, who knows? Maybe Georgia or LSU sneak in. Maybe Spencer Rattler's not great as a freshman. OU doesn't make it. Maybe, you know, Oregon replaces Justin Herbert and gets in. Who knows? But for, for the most part, college football is designed for a handful of schools to have a chance every year. That being said, I love the excitement around Oklahoma State football right now. I, I have no problem with Chuba Hubbard hyping everyone up yesterday at the pep rally, saying we're bringing the national championship to Stillwater. I think it is it is good for them to have that goal. I think Oklahoma State, part of – now, obviously, the, the big problem is that schools like Clemson spend $3 million a year on recruiting, and Oklahoma State spends half a million dollars a year on recruiting. And, uh, you know, LSU last year paid its defensive coordinator $2.5 million, uh, and Oklahoma State just can't afford to pay its assistants that much money. It is a pay-to-play league. So while I think that is the biggest hurdle for Oklahoma State to overcome, the fact that they're just being outspent by millions and millions of dollars by the elites of the elite, I think another problem is Oklahoma State can fall into a, um, you know, let's just be the best us mentality. Let's just uh, beat Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU. We can probably get to 10, and that's a great season. And, And while I think 10 is a great season, 
I think the guys in that locker room, Chuba Hubbard, Spencer Sanders, Tylen Wallace, all those guys defensively, Jarek Bernard, Trey Sterling, Colby Harvey Peel, I think they have to, or Darius Williams, Ogbong Bamiga, Calvin Bundage is going to be back, Malcolm Rodriguez, I could go on and on. All these guys have to have the mentality of, if we're not trying to be the absolute best team in college football, then what are we doing here? And that needs to be the mentality for Oklahoma State. And and I think that that's what Chuba's trying to do. I think Chuba is trying to send the message to himself, the message to the fans, and the message to his teammates that if they're not striving to get on the same level as Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama, then they're not striving to be good enough. Now, whether that's actually attainable is a separate conversation, but you should always strive to be the best at whatever it is that you're doing. So uh, I thought the pep rally was great yesterday. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I love, love, love how much excitement there is right now around Oklahoma State football. Um, What I don't love is having to watch Oklahoma State play basketball twice a week. I'll talk about what happened in Ames last night coming up next here on Locked on Pokes. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked on College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to Locked on Pokes. Rolling along here on a Wednesday. Glad everyone is with me. Hit me up on Twitter at Colby J. Powell at Locked on Pokes. Let me know what you thought about the pep rally yesterday. Chuba getting everybody fired up. Mike Gundy talking a little bit. We'll talk about some of Mike Gundy's comments coming up here in just a little bit. But I do want to talk about what took place last night in Ames, which was... More of the same for Oklahoma State. It was, uh, you know, first and foremost, Oklahoma State, and we're going to talk about the offense. Believe me, we're going to talk about the offense because despite the 82 points scored last night by Oklahoma State, I still thought there were a lot of problems offensively. But let's talk about the defense that allows you to, to basically not even be in a game in which you score 82 points. Oklahoma State, they trailed by two at halftime, uh, cut it to one early in the second half, but then Iowa State just kind of grew that lead to where Oklahoma State was down by 15 with five-ish or so minutes left to go, and Oklahoma State was never really in this game. It never felt like they had a chance to take this game over and beat Iowa State, who you know might be the ninth best team in the conference with Oklahoma State being number 10. Oklahoma State gives up 89 points last night. Iowa State coming in to the game against the Cowboys, were terrible shooting the three. Terrible. 289th in the country, Iowa State ranked in three-point shooting. They were hitting 30.9% of their shots as a team from three. Last night, 11 of 24, which is 45.8%. They shot 15% above their season average last night against Oklahoma State. And, And I don't know what it is, but Oklahoma State can not defend the three. And when you're part 
of a team, and when you're part of an offense like what Oklahoma State is right now that goes through these scoring droughts and really struggles to put the ball in the goal for four or five minutes at a time, and we see about two of these stretches every game from Oklahoma State, every game, even the Baylor game, they get up early, and I'm thinking to myself, I even texted, uh, you know, I've got a group text with my, my parents, and I texted, and I said, just wait for it. I'm just waiting for the scoring drought. It's going to come. Don't get your hopes up. The scoring drought is coming. And what do you know? The scoring drought always comes around. Death, taxes, and an Oklahoma State scoring drought in in college basketball. It's inevitable. So when you have all these scoring droughts, what you can't do is allow every opponent to shoot the lights out from three. You've got to run guys off the line and force teams to beat you another way. Another thing that Oklahoma State can't do, you can't foul so much. Iowa State shot 30. Three free throws last night. 33, and they made 28 of them. They were phenomenal from the stripe. Oklahoma State, on the other hand, 14 of 21 from the free throw line. So the Cowboys get outscored. They get doubled up from the free throw line. They get outscored 28 to 14. Oklahoma State never really had a chance to win a game in which the the opponent turned it over 11 more times. Iowa State had 19 turnovers to Oklahoma State's eight. Oklahoma State scored 32 points off of Iowa State turnovers. That means they had 50 general, 32 off turnovers, still were not in the game. Yes, they made a run late and tried to cut into it late. It was too little too late. Everybody knew it was too little too late. It would have taken some sort of Cinderella magic run for that to happen. Uh, Another thing, talk about more of the same. Anybody remember how many minutes Caleb Boone played on Saturday against Baylor? Whenever I came on and I said, why? What's the point of moving him into the starting lineup if that's all he's going to play? He plays seven minutes. Saturday against Baylor. Last night against Iowa State, Caleb Boone started once again. How many minutes do you think he played last night against Iowa State? Seven minutes. I can't wrap my head around it. You're, you're starting him, trying to get that, that extra little, I don't know, energy, youth, whatever the case may be, and he plays seven minutes? Why, why is Isaac likely playing 38 minutes? That is so many minutes. 38 is way too many. I think 34 for Lindy Waters is too many. I think if anybody's playing more than about 32, that's a lot of minutes. That's a lot of minutes to be out there. You're going to get gassed, especially Isaac Likely. I mean, look, obviously he's got to be close to 100%, you would think, physically. Maybe still reeling a bit from the illness. I I don't know where he's at physically. But 38 minutes, that's a ton of minutes. Jonathan Loren, who feels like hasn't played in a month, gets 26 minutes last night. I'm just trying to figure out what is the philosophy behind who is seeing the court win and how much they're playing. I, I still, I am nowhere near Boynton being on the hot seat. Obviously, this season is not going the way that, that anyone anticipated it going. The offense has pretty much evaporated. Uh, I, I still think that next year we'll find out what kind of coach Mike Boynton can be. Can he get a bunch of young talent to mesh and come together in one season with Cade Cunningham? I, I think that's when we'll really learn something about Mike Boynton, who's had to dismiss a lot of guys, doesn't have Marcus Watson, who he thought he was going to have, big four-star recruit. But Caleb Boone, Seven minutes, Keelan Boone doesn't play. Avery Anderson did play 25 minutes last night, which I thought was a good thing. The Cowboys had six players in double figures, which I thought was a good thing, but it, it's just it's not enough. And, and Cam McGriff shot another five threes last night. <sighs> Oklahoma State shot 25 threes. I'd really like to see Oklahoma State down in the 15 
number, 15 to 18 threes. I think Oklahoma State's wasting too many possessions. And last night they were 10 of 25. So, again, fine as a team from beyond the arc. But, I mean, four of those were, were Dezogwa, three were Lindy. I just don't think – Isaac Likely actually hit a three last night for the first time in two months. He was one of one from beyond the arc after shoot, shooting a couple of air balls Saturday against Baylor. It's just more of the same for Oklahoma State. And it's getting tough. I mean, Oklahoma State basketball right now is a tough watch, and I don't know what the solution is. Texas A&M this Saturday, Big 12 SEC Challenge. Texas A&M's coming off a two-point win against Missouri. They're 9-8. and eight. I mean, you have to assume that Texas A&M is going to be the favorite in this game. I don't know how Oklahoma State could be favored uh, against anybody until they actually win a game. They need to win a game so that they believe they can win again. I mean, I think that's the biggest problem, as big of a problem as anything. I don't think Oklahoma State feels like they can win right now. And why would they? Why would they believe that they can win whenever they haven't done it in, I don't know what their last win was. Where, where's the schedule at? The last win for Oklahoma State came on December 29th. If they don't beat either Texas A&M or Kansas in their next two games, Saturday and Monday, Kansas is a home game and Kansas will be missing some guys. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, if Oklahoma State does not win one of those two games, then they'll go more than a month in between wins. And the only, the only win that they have right now in the last month, the only win since December 15th, is against Southeastern Louisiana. Oklahoma State has not beaten a Division I basketball school since December 15th. They haven't beaten a Power 5 school since November 29th. It is brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal right now for Oklahoma State basketball. It's gone as bad as it could possibly go to this point. Let's talk about the Kansas-Kansas State brawl last night. It was, look, the game was over. The whole thing started because a kid from Kansas State stole a ball with three seconds left, tried to make a layup, Sousa blocks it, and then it gets heated. I, I really thought that... Obviously, the highlight was DeSouza picking up the chair. He's been suspended indefinitely by Kansas, and that's probably deserved because he picked up that chair, and you can't do that. Aside from the chair being picked up, I really didn't think it was that bad. It, it was, I mean, what, what were there, two or three punches thrown? I, I don't even know if anybody landed anything. Tempers got hot for a minute. A few guys threw some punches. I hope that we don't go crazy on this. DeSouza picked up the chair, and that's dangerous. I mean, that's using a weapon. So whatever DeSouza's punishment is, that's probably warranted. I just hope that we don't go totally overboard because aside from that, wasn't that bad. It was a lot of pushes and pushing and shoving. Uh, a few punches were thrown, mostly missed. I, I think that we have this tendency, particularly with basketball. I, I don't know if it's because the fans are right there on the court. Um, I, I don't know if it's because, you know, none of these guys have any gear on of any kind. You know, fights break out in football. We, we don't really think that much of it. Fights break out break out in hockey. We encourage it. Uh, you know, baseball, Runetto Dor lands a right hook to Jose Bautista, and, and we all applaud, and, and we all laud him, and, and we think it's great. And then a basketball fight breaks out. Maybe it's because they're, they're right there basically in the stands. Maybe it's because they have no gear on of any kind. But I, I just feel like we lose our minds when basketball players fight. I mean, there's a lot of testosterone. A lot of, a lot of guys being competitive, uh, getting out there. It, quite honestly, it's amazing punches aren't thrown more often in, in sports. And it's because the penalties are so severe. But, you, you know, D'Souza, he's going to get his for picking up the chair. But I hope we don't go too overboard on the punishments for everyone else. Because aside from the chair being picked up, I didn't think it was that bad. Minor scrap, couple punches thrown. All right, 
Give, give everybody a couple games, and let's get back after it. Let's not turn it into something that it doesn't need to be. So we'll see what the punishments end up being for everyone involved. Uh, but like I said, it, it does have huge ramifications for Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State plays Kansas in Stillwater on Monday night. They're obviously going to be without DeSouza. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who else is out for that game against the Cowboys on Monday because that could open a door to a win for Oklahoma State that otherwise would not have been open. Uh, okay, I need to take a break. That's enough about basketball. On the other side, Mike Gundy yesterday talked a little bit about uh, what's taking place with his staff this offseason. Obviously, Casey Dunn, Sean Gleason leaving, new quarterbacks coach Tim Rattay. So we're going to talk about all of Mike Gundy's comments coming up next right here on Locked on Pokes. Welcome back. Wrapping things up here on Locked on Pokes. I'm your host, Colby Powell. Head over to Twitter. Follow me at Colby J. Powell at Locked on Pokes. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, take the time right now. Grab your phone. Subscribe. Rate. I would greatly appreciate it. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit of Oklahoma State football because talking about basketball is depressing. Mike Gundy yesterday talked a little bit uh, about the turnover on his staff this offseason, obviously, um, with Sean Gleason heading out at offensive coordinator. That opened up the spot. Casey Dunn was basically out the door to UNLV, wound up back, and then was promoted to offensive coordinator. Tim Rattay comes in as the quarterback coach, so a lot took place on the staff uh, this offseason for Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy said at one point Dunn was going to UNLV, and he's always wanted to be an offensive coordinator. Gundy said we had to re-recruit him, which we did. We gave him years and money, and then about a week later, when Gleason decided to go back to home, uh, closer to home, he got the interview um, for the offensive coordinator position. And uh, Mike Gundy said, after several interviews, I found out that Dunn was the right guy at this particular time. He served his time, and he's ready. Uh, and then he talked about, you, you know, he said, particularly, we needed to find a quarterback coach that was what I was looking for as a QB coach. Enter Tim Rattay. Tim Rattay. Uh, was with the Washington Redskins last season. Uh, he, he played in the NFL for a while. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Mike Gundy said, I think he's tr- fantastic with technique, footwork, reads, eyes, developing young people, tremendous success playing the position in college, played a long time in the NFL at six foot tall, which is not easy to do. So uh, ho- hopefully this is going to be a match made in heaven for Oklahoma State offensively. And Mike Gundy was asked about, you know, any learning curve or anything like that. Mike Gundy said there's not any learning curve for him at all. He knows the offense. The only adjustment he'll make, talking about Casey Dunn here, pardon me, not, not Tim Rattay. He said he knows the offense. The only adjustment he'll make is calling plays on game day and being in the press box. The rest of it he already knows, uh, just has to use get used to calling plays, everything else he's already done. And this is why I've said all offseason, I think Casey Dunn's the guy. Look, obviously you get Todd Monken in, that'd be great. Um, always pr- probably a little bit of a pipe dream. But getting Casey Dunn as the offensive coordinator I think was huge. One, you don't let him walk to UNLV, which is big time. I don't think you wanted to totally lose him. I think that that would have been uh, a big loss from Oklahoma State staff. And like Mike Gundy's talking about there, he's done it all. He knows the offense. He knows I mean, he has to know it forward and backward after a decade and learning under so many other offensive coordinators. And you bring Tim Rattay in, I'm telling you, obviously I talked about Chuba's statement in, in the first segment. Oklahoma State's offense next year, all, all the guys returning on defense, this could be the most complete team 
that we've seen in Stillwater since the 2011 season. Now, that's not to say that this team will be as good as the team was in, in 2011 because that Whedon-Blackman offense was one of the best offenses we've ever seen in college football. Markel Martin and those guys were turnover-forcing machines defensively, uh, which is a huge part of winning and losing close football games. So I'm not saying that this team will be as good as that team, but if you look at some of the teams like the, that Mason – played on those were not complete football teams those teams had bad offensive lines bad defenses those teams were not set up to win a game in which you really only scored 38 points if Oklahoma State scored 38 points when Mason was here against any any team of any worth Oklahoma State was going to get beat I mean you remember some of those Iowa State duels the one in Ames where Marcel Aitman makes the catch you're having to score 49 points to win that game the Bedlam game Oklahoma State scored 52 it wasn't enough wasn't even close so those teams were not as complete as I think this team will be. I think a big uh, part of the equation, we know what Chuba is, we know what Tylen is. I think Spencer Sanders making a leap forward in year number two is the make or break for this Oklahoma State team and what they can accomplish. Because Spencer Sanders, look, we've talked about it, didn't throw for 300 yards in any games this past year. I do think that he was starting to figure some things out prior to his injury. I think he was starting to make much, much better decisions. And ideally, next year, there will be no games in which Spencer Sanders turns the ball over two, three, four, five, six times like he did against Texas Tech. Obviously the bad uh, fourth quarter scoop and score in the game against Baylor. A, a game against a good Baylor team that Oklahoma State led 20-10 to 10 in the third quarter and Oklahoma State should have won that game. So hopefully, between Tim Rattay taking over as quarterback's coach and Casey Dunn taking over as offensive coordinator, it, it will be the perfect combination for Spencer Sanders to continue to grow and for Oklahoma State to absolutely maximize the talent that they have on that roster coming in to next season. Uh, all right, that's all for today. I'm back on Friday. We'll preview Oklahoma State and Texas A&M. Probably talk a little bit more about the pro football focus list that Chuba Hubbard will likely be announced on tomorrow as one of the 25 best players of 2019 in college football. That'll all be on Friday, so make sure that you join me for that. Enjoy the next couple of days, and thanks for listening to Locked on Pokes.